Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. 2 Samuel 22, verse number 4. We read this verse last week. We're continuing week number 2 of the Weapon of Worship series. And it's 2 Samuel 22 and verse 4. This is David I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Can somebody say amen to that? So shall I be saved from my enemies. In this this verse here, David is making a correlation. He's making a connection between praise and victory. That when we fixate on the worthiness of God, God goes to work on our behalf. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a mighty weapon in the hands of the people of God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So we're continuing the weapon of worship today. This this will be be it, a short two-message series. But if you weren't here last week or maybe you were in the second service and didn't get to go back to watch the first service um, I, I began last week uh, by recounting a story that is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this story is of, uh, it's taken place, transpiring in the days of King Jehoshaphat. And what had happened is that Jehoshaphat was the king over the kingdom of Judah, but there were three other armies that had, had allied, and, and they had decided to come together to join forces, and, and they were going to march against Judah. And, and so, uh, you know, it's one thing to be fighting against one other army, but to be uh, arrayed against three armies, that, that, that is a daunting thing. And so what what happened was that Jehoshaphat began to give instruction that we're going to go to battle. This is what the Lord says, that we're going to go to battle, and the battle's going to be his. It's not going to be ours. And so if God's going to fight the battle, guess what that means? That you, you, you're not going to do things your way. You're going to do it God's way. God's ways are not like our ways. As a matter of fact, they're higher than our ways. Right? And so listen, there, there are times that you're not going to do things according to conventional wisdom if you let God lead. But that's okay because God's ways are superior. And that's what he told Jehoshaphat. I want you to go against not one, not two, but three armies that are coming against you. And I'm going to give victory into your hands. And he told them that instead of sending out his special forces first, Instead of sending out all of the mighty men first, he said, I I want you to put the singers out front. As you march into battle, I want you to send the musicians out front. I, I want you to send the worshipers, if you will, out in front of the soldiers, and I want you to march into the battle, not, 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 uh, you know, uh, chanting, you know, some, some great uh, chant that you have to get everybody pumped up and fired up, but I want you to go into battle singing the praises of the Lord. I, I want you to march against the enemy that have come together and united against you and I want you to go against them worshiping your way into battle. And so when they arrived, 
the enemy armies had turned on each other because God was working for the children of Judah. They were doing what the Lord said. They were worshiping their way into that battle. And so the armies that were against them, God brought confusion and they began to turn and fight one another instead of fighting their adversary, Judah. Listen, the children of Israel never even had to unsheath a sword. Because they understood they had a weapon that was more mighty than a sword. And so they, even though it seemed foreign to them, even though it didn't seem probably to make sense to them, they went into battle worshiping the Lord. I'm talking today about a mighty weapon called the weapon of worship. And there's some people here this morning, we've just gone through a worship service, but maybe you didn't unsheath that weapon, but you can do so before you leave this house today. I know we've got a picnic later on. I know we've got some fun things, but before that, I believe God has a sovereign work that he wants to do in this place today. Today can be your day of deliverance. Today can be your day of breakthrough. Today can be your day of salvation. You can receive the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, and it just might be that in order for you to have that breakthrough, in order for you to win that battle, you're going to have to get outside of yourself a little bit and unsheath the weapon of worship and say, my God is great. My God is glorious. My God is above all others. Oh, come on, take a moment and just go ahead and do that right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, chains break when you worship. Prison doors open. Come on, New Testament, anybody? Prison doors open when you worship. When you begin to sing at the midnight hour, something begins to shift in the atmosphere. There's a weapon called worship. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. If you think that we're a little bit out of order today, if you think we're a little bit overzealous today, then I don't think you'd have been comfortable in that prison cell with Paul and Silas at midnight either. Hallelujah. They were up against an impossibility. They, they, they were up against, they were all kind of things were situated against them. Amen. They were doing a good work, and they got arrested for doing something good. So there they were in that dark, dank prison cell, but they didn't let that quieten their worship. They had been beaten, their hands and feet in stocks, but they didn't let that quiet their worship. They still had a mouth. They still had a voice. They still had a praise, and they let that praise be directed to their Lord. Amen. In the verse we read just a moment ago, David concreted the connection between worship and victory, and he did that originally in Psalm 18. And then he had that psalm, Psalm 18, repeated at the end of his life. And it's found in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. We read it, verse 22 and verse 4. And I'm going to read it one more time. David said, I will call upon the Lord. Here he is near the end of his life. And he's saying, look, 
this has been the way that I have seen victory in my life. This has been the secret to my success, if you will. I made up my mind that I was going to call upon the Lord who was worthy to be praised. And because of that, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Church, David was well acquainted with the weapon of worship. David was very familiar with the weapon of worship. Let me remind you that when it came time to face that giant named Goliath, they brought out Saul's armor. He put that armor on. He said, you know what? I hadn't tested this. I'm not comfortable with this. And he took it off. And I'll tell you, his greatest weapon when he marched out on the battlefield that day, it wasn't a pouch that was filled with rocks. It wasn't a sling that he twirled above his head. But it was the fact that David said to that giant, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But here's what I'm coming to you with. I come with the word of God in my mouth. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel and he is able to defeat you and to deliver you into my hands. Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about a weapon that is more mighty than anything that you could ever amass. I'm talking about a weapon that extends beyond the strength of your human frame today. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul, New Testament, in diagnosing the human condition, he arrived at the conclusion that unbelief, catch this, unbelief is in essence failure to worship God. He equated unbelief with a failure to worship God. Some of you might be thinking, oh, you know, I, I don't agree with that. I, I believe I just, I just, you know, I, I just hadn't reached that place of worship. I'm just not comfortable worshiping in that way. Or I just, you know, that's just a little bit much for me. Well, Paul, here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse, verse 21. He says, because although they, they knew God, that's what it says, right? They knew God. Not that they were strangers. Not that they were unbelievers. Although that they knew God, they, they were aware of him, they had knowledge of him, yet here, here was their response. They did not glorify him as God. They knew him, but they stopped right there. They didn't let what they knew about him be a catalyst to worship him, right? They, they didn't glorify him as God, and it continues, nor were they thankful. Church being thankful is a part of worship, but they didn't even do that. They knew him, but they didn't glorify him. They knew him, but they weren't even thankful unto him, and here was the result. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? All because they refused to worship. All because they, they knew about God, but they refused to glorify God. Their thoughts got all messed up. Their foolish hearts were, were darkened. Here's how that same verse reads in the New Living Translation. We can put it on the screen. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. 
and they wouldn't give him thanks. And they began to think up, catch this, foolish ideas of what God was like. You know what a foolish idea of what God is like? It's when you put God in a box. It's when you limit him. That's foolish. It's when you think, hey, God can do it for somebody else, but he can't do it for me. That's foolish. It's when you think, you know what, what I'm dealing with, what I'm facing, this is too much. This is too big for God. That's foolish. And that kind of thinking comes from a refusal to worship. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Church, they knew God. Yet they refused to worship him as God. They wouldn't even give him thanks. I want you to get a hold of this right now. Even though, even though they withheld their worship, even though they knew about him and they wouldn't worship him, him even still, even though they refused to give God the worship that he is worthy of, God didn't change. In other words, their worship doesn't make God. Our worship doesn't make God who he is. When they refused to worship him, his glory, hear me, his glory was not diminished at one, 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 one millimeter. His strength was not sapped. His power was not relegated. His majesty, none of it was affected by their failure to worship. He was still God. Because worship isn't and wasn't for God's benefit. Their worship wasn't to prop God up. Their worship wasn't to make God feel good about himself. I'm not going to go all the way into this, but I preached about this a little bit last Sunday. Listen, God doesn't really need our worship. He wants our worship, right? But he doesn't necessarily, he's not a needy kind of God. But the reason God commands us to worship is because we need to worship him. You need it. I need it. God doesn't need it. We need it. It's good for us to be worshipers. You see, when they refused to worship God, God just kept right on being God. He didn't break stride at all. He just kept right on being God. Their failure to worship God, it didn't affect him, but it had a negative impact on them. It had a negative impact on those Romans. This is what Romans 121 said happened. Said, and they began to think up foolish ideas. They didn't worship. They knew him. They didn't worship. And because of that, they were affected by it. They started thinking wrong. They started to think up foolish ideas about who God was what it was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. You see, church, when they didn't worship God, they began to think up ideas about God, you know, that, that were wrong, that were inaccurate, that were not based in truth. In other words, because they withheld their worship, their perspective was skewed. And as a result, their minds became darkened. Their minds became confused. That's another reason why we need to worship. But I want you to get this. Just as not worshiping can have a negative impact on you, making up your mind to worship can have a positive impact on you. 
Come on, just like withholding your worship is going to cause you to think foolish things about what God's like, but when you make up in your mind, I might not feel it. I might be in the trial of my life. I might be in the midst of my darkest day, but that doesn't change the fact that God is still God and God is still worthy, and so I'm going to worship him anyhow. Not based on my circumstances, not based on my situations, but merely based on the goodness of God. And when you make up your mind, it's going to improve the way you think. It's going to improve. Come on, instead of your mind being darkened, your mind is going to be enlightened. Instead of your load becoming weightier, your load is going to be lifted. When those Romans, when they failed to worship, it affected their minds. It affected the way that they thought about their situation. It affected the way that they saw things. And that tells me that when we worship God, it has a positive impact on the way that we think. Amen. If you're not happy with your thought life today, can I, can I give you a prescription real quick? Just spend a little bit of time praising. Come on, don't go back to the doctor to get another prescription. Don't, 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 don't go look somewhere else. Don't go look in the wrong place. If, you don't, if you're not happy with your thought life, why don't you make up your mind that before you leave this place, you're just going to dedicate some time to thinking about Jesus and to worshiping him and proclaiming his goodness. Because worship has a positive impact on the way that we think. It has a positive impact on our perspective. Right now, some of you may feel like you're just stumbling through the darkness. You might feel like you don't have any clear direction for your life. You, you might feel like everything is going wrong, one thing after another. You might feel like you're struggling to find an answer, and maybe you have wrestled with problem after problem, and it seems that you're not making any headway. But can I suggest to you today that worship is a weapon that you can employ here this afternoon, and as you begin to worship. Things are going to change. Your perspective, your thinking is going to change. So don't lead with what you can do. Don't, don't lean into what you can do. Don't, don't go into that battle with your ingenuity and ideas. Instead, why don't you make up your mind you're going to pick up the weapon of worship and you're going to let the power of God be released on your behalf. Come on, somebody. It's time for you to get your mind off of your finite solutions and instead shift your focus to the infinite greatness of our God. It's time for somebody here today to quit considering all of the things that you can do as well as all of the things that you cannot do and instead consider all the things that God has already done for you up to this point in your life. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. And I've got a word for you today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what he's done in the past, he can do again. If he's brought you out before, he can bring you out again. Oh, hallelujah. 
Come on, as you worship God, your faith is gonna begin to grow. As you worship God, that confusion is gonna begin to clear up. As you worship God, you're gonna see things clearly. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm gonna skip forward here and hurry along. According to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one. It's a very familiar verse of scripture. Here's what it says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Somebody shout hoped for. Come on, shout it again, hoped for. What is faith? It's the substance of what you hope for. That's what faith is. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Somebody say not seen. What is faith? It's what you hope for, not what you see. Are you you with me right now? What is faith? It's what you hope for, not what you see. It's what you hope for. It's not what you see. So quit obsessing with what you see and start obsessing about what you hope for. So quit obsessing with your circumstance and start hoping in God and what is possible through God because that's what faith is. It's what you hope for, not in what you see. In other words, faith has vision. It can see what's not there. Faith has x-ray vision, if you will. Not only that, faith can see beyond the present and see into the future. Faith is not limited by what you can see with your natural eyes. Because faith operates in the realm of hope. It's what you hope for. It's not what you're seeing, it's what you hope for. And because faith has vision, faith is not bound by the natural limitations that so often blind us and bind us. Let me say it like this. Faith is not defined by the doctor's report. Instead, faith is defined by hope for a miracle. Faith is not hindered by your view of reality. Instead, faith believes for what's not there right now. Faith believes for what is not seen. I hope somebody's getting a hold of this today. Here's the key to faith. Faith sees what it's looking for. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Oh, I just tend to be a little bit negative. It's always the, the, half, the, the glass half, half, half empty to me. And you know what? You're going to find what you're looking for. If you want a bad report, it's there. If you, if you want to get all down in the molly grubs, whatever the molly grubs are, Brother Jonathan, I don't really know. People say it, so I said it. But whatever those are, if you want to get down in them, <laughs> you can. Because faith sees what it's looking for. And you know what worship does? Worship helps bring faith into focus. 
you're not seeing what you want to see today, you just need to worship. You just need to get your eyes on him. And as you get your eyes on him, it's going to bring faith into focus. Come on, it's going to begin to change your mindset. It's going to begin to change your outlook. It's going to begin to enhance your faith. Faith sees what it's looking for. And our soul, I believe, leaps with the expectation that God can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna get a hold of that or believe that. That's not gonna be your mantra if you refuse, like the Romans did, if you refuse to worship. Amen. You're not gonna have a view of faith if you withhold glorifying God. Worship is a weapon that enables us to encounter, to access the power of God if today. So today, if you need a miracle in your life, I'm going to encourage you to worship him. Worship him. Come on, it might not make sense. Well, I, I should be conserving my energy because I'm not feeling good. and I've got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday, and I'm just going to wait and see what the doctor says. No, 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 listen. If you need a miracle... If you need a miracle, don't refuse to worship, but make up your mind. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to my carnal mind, but I'm going to reach down deep, and I'm going to find a praise. I'm going to recollect what God has done to bring me to this point, and I'm going to worship him with all that I have. Come on, if you're walking through a valley, worship him. If you're facing an enemy that is greater than you, can I suggest today that you worship the one who is greater than your enemy? Come on, worship is a weapon that can change the very landscape of your life. Worship can bring transformation to your heart. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just going to be a few more minutes. We talked about King Jehoshaphat last week. I, 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 guess that, I guess that you can say that Job, Job had one of those days like the day that I described Jehoshaphat having. Three armies coming against him. One army, that's enough, right? Three. So here Job was, and he's having a day himself. Without any notice, things were fine, but now they're not fine, right? It came out of the blue. It was completely unexpected. The messengers began to bring their tidings of terror, one right on the heels of the other. Bad news after bad news after bad report after bad report after bad report because when it rains, it pours. So that's what he was living. And the first word arrived that, the oxen and the donkeys had been stolen and that the servants who were watching over them had been murdered. And then while that, that, that messenger was still talking, the next messenger came and he reported that lightning had fallen from heaven and had killed all of Job's sheep and all of his shepherds. Talked about that a little bit Wednesday night. Had to dry that blood up from the altar. So the first thing that went was his sacrifice. Got rid of them. That, that, was, that was helping keep the hedge around him. That's what the enemy went for, went for first. Then, then while he was talking to that messenger, the next messenger arrived. And he told Job that the Chaldeans 
had raided the camels and had, had massacred all of the camel drivers. And then, while that messenger was still talking, hardly hadn't even gotten it out of his mouth, another messenger arrived and said, your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother and a tornado swept through in out of the desert and struck the house and they all died. That's a bad day, right? We've had bad days too, but you know what? I, I, would, I would venture to say that none of us Come on, that none of us have had a day quite like that day. That Old Testament, what's it there for? It happened actually, but it's there for us spiritually. There's a spiritual principle here. And so Job, he had the worst day of all days. And it was there in the wake of that tragic news as he was learning that everything in his life was ruined and as he heard that all of his wealth had been destroyed and that his precious children were now all dead. That's when the Bible says that Job got to his feet and he ripped, he tore his clothing and he shaved his head. But after he had done those things, the Bible says that he fell to the ground and he worshiped naked. I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He pulled out that weapon of worship on his worst day. Oh, hallelujah. There's a man, Job was a man who recognized the power of worship and while he was still reeling from that tragic news and while he was shaken to his very core and while he was yet troubled in his spirit and as he was seeking to come to terms with the terrible situation and all that had transpired, some godly intuition, some godly impulse deep down inside of him imparted understanding to his heart and he began to think if I'm gonna make it out of this if I'm gonna get through this somehow I don't need to look at what just happened but I've got to expand my view of God I've got to get my eyes on my God who is greater Job knew that if he was gonna overcome it that he had to get a glimpse of the glory. He had to get a renewed glimpse of the majesty of his God. He knew in that moment when his heart was overwhelmed that it was time to run to the rock that was higher than him. Yet too often, in times of trouble and despair, we turn somewhere else instead of pursuing worship. We reach for some man-made weapon. We reach for something within our control. We reach for something that, 
that is, that is right, right, right there around us that maybe is our default for dealing with situations rather than saying, hey, where's that weapon? I know I've got it. I've used it before. Where, 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 where's that weapon? Maybe, maybe it needs to be dusted off. Maybe, maybe it needs to be pulled back out from under the bed. Maybe it needs to be, be retrieved from wherever you left it. And instead, so many times, we reach for something else instead of reaching for the weapon of worship. We walk into the house of God many times dejected and defeated in our spirits. And listen, that just goes to show that we don't realize the power of worship. It's not predicated on you. It's not predicated on how you're feeling. It's not about you. It's about him. But when you understand that it's about him and you begin to engage in it, what happens? You're the benefactor. You're the one who needed it in the first place. Things begin to shift in your life. Your perspective begins to change. Your faith begins to be stirred up. Why? Because you reached and you got a hold of a trusty old weapon that you used in days gone by and you begin to use it again. You begin to crucify the flesh a little bit with that weapon. Right? You, you begin to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable to you. Crucify the flesh. Why? Because God is worthy. God is good. God is deserving. And if that means lifting up my hands, I'm going to lift up my hands. If that means dancing a little jig, then I'm going to dance like David did before my God. I'm going to take this weapon of worship and crucify my flesh, my pride. Oh, come on, somebody go ahead and begin to step into it right now. Go ahead and start using that weapon. Maybe the first thing you need to use the weapon on is your flesh. Oh, quit worrying about who's around you. Quit worrying about what somebody's gonna think about you. God's worthy today. God's worthy today. He's worthy today. When David of the Old Testament had somebody who looked down on him because of his worship, as a matter of fact, it was his wife. It was his own family. Michael, his wife. David, you made a fool of yourself today. David's out there in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, the glory's coming home. The glory of God is coming back. He's out there worshiping. They'll take a few steps moving that ark, and then his praise break again. Oh, hallelujah. The presence of God is coming back. The glory of God is coming back. Michael said, you look like a fool. You're the king. You ought to act like a king. You ought to act sophisticated. Where are your manners, David? I'm paraphrasing. David's like, you must not understand this weapon of worship the way that I do. And he responded back to Michael, if you thought I got with it today, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you thought that I was foolish today, I'm just getting started because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God and he deserves the highest praise. 
Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.